Hey there! Welcome to Culture by Culture, a multidimensional exploration of Black and Asian pop cultural ties. I'm your Sailor Guardian host, Delia, and today I am so excited to be joined by the host of Sailor Moon Fan Club, Victoria Johnson, aka Sailor Victoria. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Victoria. Hi! I'm so excited to be here. I'm Victoria, Sailor Victoria, however you want to say it. Host of the Sailor Moon Fan Club, pop culture journalist, and lover of Korean dramas, which I'm hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about today. <laughs> I would love to talk to you about K dramas. We will get to it. I literally just before this was in the middle of watching a K drama, and I was like, okay, we have to pause. We have to get ready. We have to record a podcast. So addictive! It's so addictive. <laughs> it's such a problem. I think I tweeted about it the other day. I'm in the middle of launching this podcast. I have a big, huge, long to do list, and my brain is like, well, what if we just started a K-drama to binge right now. <laughs> yeah, same. That's the problem, I think, with getting into creating as a nerd is that you're still a nerd. So you're still going to try and make time for those things. And the balance is real difficult. Yeah, like you want to consume the media, but also like you need to like create content too and do all the other stuff you need to do. But you still want to like go to the cons and enjoy yourself or like watch stuff and read stuff. It's so much to keep up with. <laughs> it's so much to keep up with. And there's only 24 hours in the day and it's just not enough. I used to think if I ever was able to, you know, make this a bigger part of my hobby, a work part time, there'd be so much more time. But the way I think creative brains work is you just fill the time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I have some spare hours. Let me watch a few episodes of One Piece or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know, actually, you kind of mentioned some stuff already. You know, everybody knows that you're into Sailor Moon. And we're going to talk about that too. Because selfishly, I need to talk about Sailor Moon. It's a need. But I do want to know just more generally what fandom spaces you currently occupy. Maybe some that people aren't as familiar with in your work. Yeah, and I always want to talk about Sailor Moon, so I'm excited for that, too. Um, but obviously, yeah, Sailor Moon, I have the entire podcast dedicated to the show. I'm a big One Piece fan, too. I've been watching since 2010, I think. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a big part of my life. What else? What else? What else? I mean, I love K-dramas as a whole. I've kind of fallen off in the past few years, but like there was a time mm -hmm. where I was like deep into like the K-drama life and even went to South Korea. Like, love. Oh, I'm, I yeah. would love, 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 love to go. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I also love Saga, which is a comic book um, with Image Comics. It's really cool. I feel like I'll stop there because I'm like, I'm going to just keep naming stuff. And I'm like, what <laughs> else is there? I feel like those are the top ones, though. That is so interesting. I, you know, people say One Piece is so good. My dad, he really enjoyed One Piece. But there's so many episodes. So when you said you watch One Piece, I was like, oh, when did you start? But I guess you've just been kind of, you've had the time. Yeah, I mean, and it's been off and on since then. Like, so I didn't like catch up in 2010. So I, I watched up until like maybe 60 something then. And then like later on, I got up to like 100 and something and then I stopped for a few years and I binged up until like 600, like one year and then, <laughs> and then stopped for a few years and came back and I actually just caught up on New Year's Eve last year. Wow. Yeah. I have so much respect for people. <laughs> but in that kind of time, I would love to. It really seems like a show that's up my alley, but I just don't know I when I will put in that kind of time. But who knows? Stay tuned, I suppose, everybody. Just chip at it little by little. Over time, for me, 10 years time. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you really have the dedication. <laughs> mm -hmm. What would you say was your first fandom? Ooh, 
I want to say actually, probably because I actually went through my old stuff at my mom's house recently. So I've been really, (laughs) this is a perfect time to ask because I think originally I would say like Sarah Moon, Dragon Ball Z. But Mm -hmm. even before that, I think Barbie and Lisa Frank, if those count. Oh, my word. (laughs) I love, oh, I should have, I almost wore it. But I have these Lisa Frank crewnecks and they're covered in Lisa Frank print. I love them. I love Lisa Frank. That is so interesting to me because I feel like aesthetically, that is still very much magical girl aesthetics, kind Mm -hmm. of like it feels like a precursor. Definitely. Yeah. And it's so funny to me because I remember being younger and being like, I don't like pink. Pink is for girls. And I'm looking at all the stuff I was like (laughs) playing with or like that I liked. And it was all very extremely girly. And I'm like, I don't know who I thought I was fooling. Clearly just myself. But um, I definitely was that way. I was I very much got into not like other girls phase or whatever. mm -hmm. But when I actually look back to my actual childhood girl. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, sure, Jan. (laughs) Very much so. I used to love Barbie computer games, played all of Mm -hmm. them. Super excited for this movie. I love computer games in general just growing up. I feel like that might be a first fandom. But yeah, definitely Barbie and Lisa Frank. I had all the stickers. What do you think was the biggest influence on your interest in those fandoms? Alternatively, what influenced you to move away from that aesthetic? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think partially it's I had older cousins, like when I say older, they're like one or two years older. Mm-hmm. They were definitely like into it. And I think like we all used to hang out and I don't know who got into it first, but I feel like there was definitely some like we're influencing each other things kind of going on here. Mm-hmm. And then also just like I think with Lisa Frank, obviously just the colors with Barbie, yeah. it was I guess something that like felt like it was geared towards me, but also something that was fun and interesting and like challenging. And then with Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z, I just got into it, you know, by watching it on Toonami. My brother actually with Sailor Moon, he just came out of his room one time. He's like, There's a show coming on you might like because he's grew up watching anime because he grew up in the eighties. Oh, very cool. And yeah. And so uh I was just like, Okay, I'll watch it. And then you know, I ended up loving it, of course, and then like stayed on and watched Dragon Ball Z, which came on afterwards on tsunami and i think for barbie i think i just kind of grew out of it a little bit just like once i reached Mm -hmm. maybe 12 or 10 somewhere around there maybe even earlier where you just kind of stopped playing with barbies or stopped knowing people who play with barbies moving away from computer games in general and moving to like more console based stuff Mm -hmm. so i'm sure if like barbie had like games on a console i probably would have kept with it I'm sure they do, mm-hmm. but if like I knew about it or had them. Decent games, rather. Yeah, decent games. Maybe that's a better term. Like, But like if a Barbie game was released for the Switch like today, I would get it. And I got the Bratz game. Man, I feel like the 90s, for better or worse, were so good at merge tie-ins and really just having when there was a movie or big pop culture event, you were going to get the toys. You were going to get the video games. You were going to get all of it. You saying if there was a Barbie Switch game, I'm thinking the Barbie movie's coming out. Now would be the time. That would be amazing. It would be perfect. And I'm like, why isn't this a thing? Because the demographic is there. Like, I'm here. Like, I will play it. (laughs) I will buy it. Day one. The movie's been kind of like reigniting that love and making me remember that. I was like, oh, yeah, this was a thing. Like, I did like have Barbie dolls and played all the video games and watched the movies. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, huh. Give me something now. I think it's interesting that you really 
hooked into Sailor Moon because for me, the reason I waited so long to watch it was because I went through the unfortunate, I'm not like other girls phase. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm going to watch Inuyasha and Dragon Ball and all these other animes because again, not like other girls. And I just thought of Sailor Moon as this girly show. Not that I didn't have friends who watched it. I did. I just refused for whatever reason. Very much, to be clear, blocking my own blessings, (laughs) to be sure. Regrets. I have them. (laughs) (laughs) So I just wonder how that show still reached you and resonated with you, even though you had maybe moved kind of past that time in your life where other media like that wasn't resonating with you. Yeah, I don't know, honestly. I mean, I guess part of it was maybe because my brother was suggesting it. So maybe I just didn't code it as like, this is something for girls. And Mm -hmm. also I I grew up where like, even though in my head, I was like, oh, pink girls, I want to be different. I like grew up within a family, very fortunately, where men, girls and boys or whatever would like do both things. Like all my girl Mm -hmm. cousins were playing video games, you know. And so I never really learned like this is for guys and this is for girls. Not in that way, at least. I mean, obviously, like there's always some kind of gender brainwashing going on. But of course, (laughs) at least with video games and nerd stuff, I never got that as much. And I think I think having my brother maybe suggest it, maybe, maybe not think it was like, this is a girl thing. Maybe. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. I'm very curious about your family and growing up being into anime and nerdy things because it sounds like potentially, and you can explain, mm. <laughs> your family might be very similar to mine. Growing up, and I talked about this in, a, in the last podcast episode, my family was very supportive of nerd pursuits, if you will. Like we all played video games, my mom, my dad, me. Um, and it was my dad that got me into anime and video games to begin with. So I was wondering how your family viewed your interest. And it sounds like they might have had the same interest or at least were supportive. So, um, I would say more supportive for sure. Like my parents are not into any nerd things, really. I mean, now it's funny. They're kind of getting into stuff. Like my mom watches like the Netflix uh, Marvel shows now. And I'm like, oh, okay. who are you? <laughs> but, and then my dad, like he watched The Last of Us or like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like overall, like they're not video games comic books people mm-hmm. but um my brothers are i think up until like we were teenagers we we're all kind of like video games comic books mm-hmm. all into that yeah i definitely grew up with like a environment that was more supportive than not but it wasn't until like i'm older like my mom would be like you're still into that you're still into this and not in any like <laughs> negative way but just like a genuinely confused or like why like you still watch Sailor Moon and now she gets it because she's she knows about the podcast and she's like okay but <laughs> for a while she's like you still like Sailor Moon because I would be asking for something Sailor Moon I think I've asked for something <laughs> Sailor Moon for like each birthday and Christmas since I was like six so <laughs> that is very relatable yeah. for a while that's how it was with Harry Potter and me but we have broken up so <laughs> sadly yeah <laughs> so uh not as much anymore but at this point yeah my family is all very nerdy they've always been very nerdy and it feels like as time goes on they get even more nerdy like it in ways that I couldn't predict but I think it's very I don't know rare I mean the reason I created this podcast is because I'm interested in these intersections but I know a lot of my friends growing up especially my friends that were minorities black latinx they didn't really have that they very much were not understood for their interest at Mm -hmm. home and had a real hard time and I feel like our experience is more rare yeah it definitely is it definitely is I think especially for like people who cosplay I wonder Mm -hmm. how my parents would have reacted if I wanted to cosplay it like as a teenager yeah I think 
think there is, especially with anime specifically, I think there's like, oh, what are you watching? Why is this person half naked? Like, <laughs> <laughs> why do the girls look like that? Right. I... <laughs> is that a demon? What? Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think we're definitely a rarity to yeah, have like family that like gets it. I agree. What do you think it was about Sailor Moon specifically, but anime in general that resonated so much with you growing up? I think it was the first time I watched something that was animated that actually had like a continuous storyline. Mm-hmm. So like with, you know, I was watching probably like Doug at the time or um, Hey Arnold. You know, those shows are great, but like, you know, you could watch them whenever. But with Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon, it was like you had to tune in every day to like know what was going to happen next. And like they were so good with cliffhangers and it just really made you just want to tune in and keep watching And I think that's what hooked me along with just like both of them having really interesting storylines. I usually talk about them both because I was really watching both at the same time. But Mm -hmm. Sailor Moon's the one that stuck with me more. And probably because it went away and Dragon Ball kind of stayed around. And I was like, hey, I could watch you anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Sailor Moon was much more elusive for a while, I feel Mm -hmm. like. It was. Yeah, after it like went off Toonami, like you couldn't really find it anywhere. And I ended up finding finding DVDs on like some random site a few years later and buying them. So I had them to rewatch then but it was really hard to find for a little bit and then it just kind of like disappeared like you couldn't find any merch for a little while i definitely feel like that's on sexism to be honest because like i said growing up in anime nerd spaces it very much was as popular among the people as dragon ball but the demographics were different so i very much feel mm-hmm. <laughs> like that contributed to how elusive it was i completely agree because yeah it makes it makes no sense because most guys I talked to were like, yeah, I was watching Sailor Moon too. You know, I just didn't talk about it. You know, and a lot of girls I know were watching it. And it's like, it was getting views. Like, It was definitely one of the most popular shows. But Exactly. But it's taken the anime landscape so long in general to catch up to the demographics that are interested in it. Not only talking about the gender demographics, but also people of many backgrounds watch anime. And I think it took them a while to realize that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, somehow. Somehow, somehow. It took them so long. So strange. (laughs) I guess that's a good segue into I was wondering about Sailor Moon Fan Club and the catalyst for creating it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was kind of that is a good like segue because it was kind of because of that reason where I felt like there was so much conversation around shonen anime. Mm-hmm. or manga that I was just like there's so much magical girl stuff out there that no one I don't hear a lot of people talk about it. like people talk about it but there's no not a lot of podcasts about it there's not a lot of discussion around it and like there are like hundreds of <laughs> magical girls shows mm-hmm. and so I originally wanted to do a magical girl show to kind of like combat that a little bit and then I realized that's gonna be a lot of work I have a full-time job I'm tired most of the day <laughs> anyways mm-hmm. and then there were a lot of shows that I I hadn't seen so I've seen some but if I wanted to do it right and like wanted to do each episode on a different magical girls show like that was just going to take a lot more time and energy so I had to get real with myself and then realize that like I could talk about Sailor Moon all day and so that's when I decided to narrow the focus and just make it a little more niche Mm -hmm. and do a Sailor Moon podcast especially because a lot of the guests that we're finding were more Sailor Moon fans rather than magical girl fans that's when I decided to narrow it to Sailor Moon and it just kind of came together from there and like everything was like clicking when I was trying to do the magical girl show I was like all right what are we going to talk about what are the segments what's it going to be about like who can I get and then when I decided to do Sailor Moon I was like oh I'll call it Sailor Moon fan club and at the end we'll do like 
um, everyone can create a Sailor Moon says phrase at the end and all this stuff and it just like <laughs> flowed and I was like okay this is this is the idea and it's just been really great so far like it's something I didn't realize that like was needed in the Sailor Moon fan base a lot of people have credited it with like kind of creating a community for like especially black Sailor Moon fans absolutely yeah <laughs> it's been really great just things I, I wasn't expecting to come from it have come and I'm just like this is so awesome before I even started watching Sailor Moon like it was a thing that was on my to-do list I heard of your podcast before that I think because Connie, who we mm. both know, yes. <laughs> was on. And I was just blown away, A, because your graphics look so cute. They're so cute. Thank I you. just need you to know that. <laughs> but also, yeah. I just you could very clearly see this community around it. Like you you can tell when there are people who are just putting podcasts out, which you know, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Creators got create, we're all doing our best. But you can tell when somebody's successfully built a community just with like how they're engaging and the engagement they're getting back. And I was just kind of taken aback and impressed by how well you had, whether on purpose or not, or by, you know, happy happenstance, <laughs> you know, seen a need and were able to fill it because clearly people came out of the, or that's how it appears. People came out of the woodwork <laughs> like, yes, this is the space I've needed. <laughs> yeah, no, it was total happenstance because like, I was just like, I just want to talk about Sailor Moon with cool people. And people were like, oh my God, we didn't know we needed this or we needed this. And thank you so much for like making it. Has there been any challenges with curating that space and creating that community around the podcast? I think, I mean, well, I launched in March 2020. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. So oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I came up with the idea in like January 2020. And I was like, I'm gonna launch in March, because that's when Naoko Takoji's birthday is and like the Sailor Moon anniversary is. So I was like, perfect. <laughs> perfect. What could go wrong? Right. What could possibly go wrong in March 2020? And of course, the pandemic happens. And yes. so I wanted to do like a whole like little launch party at a bar and like all these oh, things. So cute. Yeah. And you know, I had ideas for like meetups and none of that happened. But luckily, I mean, this year, things seem to be kind of opening up people are feeling more comfortable going out and you know we have masks so luckily and we have vaccines so planning hopefully some stuff this year and maybe Ooh. next year and trying to get my toes wet it would really make things difficult because you know you I don't know if people realize how much planning goes into a podcast you really build up what it's going to look like what it's gonna what the trajectory is going to be and so I can't imagine having you know so much hinging on like in-person stuff and that just being nope you can't do it sorry yeah yeah <laughs> I mean the pandemic was horrible is horrible but I think in, in some ways it did work to my advantage because I think that's a large part why I was able to get like sweetie on the show it was because everyone mm -hmm. was home there were things like that that I guess did help but at the same time it was like boo <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing I mean, guess to be real, real is, you know just funding mm. like, I think I've gotten one ad on the show before and mm -hmm. I've just been like, come on, guys, it's a great show. Give me sponsorship. It's 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 hard out here being a solo creator. You gotta you gotta just give yourself space. So I appreciate that. I always need to hear that. So thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we're doing what we can. And like we were talking about earlier, there's so much you wanna do as a nerd also you want to take in the content you want to experience the things in real life just for you and then there's the creating content side of it so oh there's only 24 hours so we got to give ourselves grace because we're all doing our best that is so true and then on, that's on top of like cooking and cleaning and day right, jobs being an adult and being an adult and seeing friends <laughs> if you can 
I guess I was curious, do you ever feel limited by the space you've carved out in fandom? Because I know you said you imagined doing a podcast that had a broader focus, but that comes with its own challenges. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder, have you ever felt limited by the scope of what you've curated for yourself? And how do you deal with that if you have? Sometimes, only because like there's been certain guests or some people I would just love to talk to, like thinking like Megan Thee Stallion, who's like a huge anime fan, but she's not necessarily a Sailor Moon fan. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, how can I get her on my show? (laughs) Because like it just or like even like a Michael B. Jordan. I'm like, I would love to have Michael B. Jordan on the show. But like he's he's never watched Sailor Moon as far as I know. So like times like that, I feel a little like I wish I would have done something maybe a little more general. But then I'm like, but then I wouldn't have the specialty of like the niche of Sailor Moon or even like Serena Williams, I think is a Sailor Moon or not a Sailor Moon fan, an anime fan. And she loves Avatar The Last Airbender. How did I not know this? Mm-hmm. She even voiced a character in Korra, like a, a small role, a very small role. You know what? I do think I knew that. I haven't seen Korra. Okay. I, it's on my to-do list, everyone. It is. It is. <laughs> I have friends who yell at me regularly. No judgment it's on my from to-do me. List. <laughs> but I love Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, definitely top fandom. I have a lot of art behind me that's Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> love. I didn't know that. See, that would be a dream. It would be. But I'm like, I can't get her on my podcast, even if I yeah. wanted, if, even if I could, even if she said yes. Um, Just uh, maybe do a little uh, temporary spinoff. <laughs> I've been low-key thinking of that, of like one episode spinoff, just so I can get one person on. Like an Avatar The Last Airbender fan club one episode we do what we got to do as content listen because i'm like i just want to talk to serena williams that's all i want <laughs> i would help promo the heck out of that because that would be so good to listen to thank you yeah i mean fingers crossed we did talk about in the lead up to the podcast we're kind of getting into the k-drama of it all but Ooh. in general <laughs> you did express in your own interest in black and asian pop cultural ties which i said before we started recording a lot of people since i announced the podcast have express that they too have noticed these pop cultural ties. And I was so surprised because I've always had this interest and haven't been able to really find outlets for it. So I was like, I guess I just got to make a podcast about it because that's what I do, I guess. (laughs) But I'm so curious as I'm hearing people tell their stories, like where did you first notice these connections and what made you interested in them? Ooh, that is a great question. And I feel like I should know this. Maybe it was around the time when Dean came out and also Rain in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and visiting a lot of Korean coffee shops, actually. Cause, okay. So like this is like circa grad school to era for me. So like 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go to coffee shops a lot to get work done. And I w- went to grad school near Koreatown. And I was mm-hmm. into Korean dramas already. So was whatever. Mm-hmm. But I just remember like, people talking about how like 90s R&B like inspired Dean and then like thinking mm-hmm. about like I think Rain had like black women in his um or black woman in one of his music videos and I just remember like when I got into K-dramas and K-pop a lot of the content creators I was finding were black as well like mm-hmm. and I just didn't see other groups of people diving into the Korean culture as much as black people at the time it felt like because I was just like man like we are really in this like it was just like every content creator I knew like they're actually making groups they're moving to Korea and then like on the other hand like seeing like Korean pop artists being inspired by like 90s black R&B artists and mm-hmm. you know like bringing black people into their music videos or like being inspired by like music I guess mostly or even culture because I mean the slang and everything but and rap yes very much the rap of it all <laughs> yeah. 
That's so interesting to me because I have, like, I've noticed similar when I started getting into K-dramas and things like that. It was a lot of, like, Black people I knew were like, oh my gosh, same. And I think the first person who ever recommended K-dramas to me back in high school was Mexican. And they were hard to find at the time. It's not until being really into K-dramas that I interacted with a lot of white fans. So I feel like it's one of the first fandom spaces where I entered and immediately it wasn't just like a white fandom space, you know? And that's so interesting to me because I fandom a lot of things and that has not happened. That's a good point. Yeah. I think that was the other thing. Like I'm realizing it now after you said it, that it was probably the first fandom I went into that didn't feel overwhelmingly white. Um, and a Bangladeshi girl introduced me to K-dramas. <laughs> and so, so it was like, like, I really, it's not that like, I don't think there are white people interested in K-dramas. I know that's a, tr- a, a fact, but For sure. I don't know anyone who is. And it's just like... <laughs> And I don't think I would have been able to speak to it exactly until you mentioned it. And I'm like, that is so true. I watched so many YouTubers, some who aren't active anymore, who were into K-pop, K-dramas. They were all Black for the most part. Again, my friends and people in real life. And I just think that's really cool. I do know people who don't necessarily aren't into those things and are kind of viewing it, you know, top down from the outside, mm-hmm. don't really understand. They see the problematic aspects of the cultural exchange, which do happen. Let's not pretend that they don't. But I just think it's so compelling that there's a lot of points of connection that are positive. It was already fascinating to me, but it's so fascinating to me that I'm not the only one that's noticed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You said it was back 2013, 2014 that you were really into K-dramas. This was like Mm -hmm. peak time for you. Yeah. What was your, just out of curiosity, Mm -hmm. your first K-drama and maybe your favorite K-drama? Yeah. So, I mean, well, I got into K-dramas in 2010. And then like up until like 2016, I would say like that was like a, I probably was only almost solely watching gay dramas with it mm-hmm. with maybe like Scandal and some other shows. But my first one was uh, Boys Over Flowers, which is Classic. most people's. Yeah. So that's the one. And it's funny because Sailor Moon actually got me into K-dramas in one way or another. Because oh, please uh, say more. <laughs> so of course, big Sailor Moon fan. So I've watched PGSM, which is a live action Sailor Moon Japanese show. And then that made me want to watch and more J-dramas. I watched Nobuto Will Produce, which is pretty good. And then I was telling one of my friends about it, a Bangladeshi woman. I went to call. I was actually roommates with her my freshman year, college. And I was like, oh, you should really watch the show because we were both like into international stuff and like just like open-minded people. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, oh, if you like J-dramas, you should check out Korean dramas. And I was like, what is that? Tell me more. She's like, check out Boys Over Flowers. Literally watched, started watching it that day. It was like a Friday, I think. And she went home to like, she lived in Long Island and I binged it that entire night. <laughs> and I probably like, went to sleep <laughs> and finished the show like within 24 hours, maybe, well, maybe not 24 hours, but then 48 hours, I was done with that show. And I was like, what else is out there? <laughs> and that's just like started a whole lifelong journey of K-drama love. I love that. I'm way more new to the K-drama space. I think 2019? maybe. I fell hard and fast. Um, <laughs> it's the only way. That seems to be, that, yeah, exactly, that seems to be the very constant in K-drama fans. It's hard and fast. Yep. <laughs> I think it's interesting you started at J-dramas. I haven't watched any other Asian dramas, um, mostly because I started learning Korean and I was like, well, K-dramas count as studying. It doesn't for, for the record, but that's how I, <laughs> I feel I like it, it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so even though I have interest, like I have a list of potential J dramas, C dramas that I want to watch. I just haven't because I'm like, 
but it's not really getting me anything, which is a problematic way to think. But I do want to. And maybe I'm hoping like the podcast will push me out of my K-drama comfort zone, but I am firmly there. Do you have a favorite drama that you've seen? Oh, gosh, there's so many. The Boys Over Flower State is a favorite. I love Lee Min Ho in general, so I've watched mostly anything he's in. Goblin, because I also love Gong Yu, and I will watch anything he's in. (laughs) Same. Which I'm so happy to see him like getting some shine over in the US now. So deserved. I, that man. Yeah, he is very attractive. He's a beautiful man. He is. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. Here we go. I do have a list. So my top five K dramas are, well, at least top four Boys Are Flowers, My Lovely Samsoon, City Hunter, My Love from Another Star. And then I have Descendants of the Sun here. Which I remember really liking, but I'm like, damn, is it? Did I like it enough to put in my top five? Maybe I did. I don't think I've seen Descendants of the Sun. I have seen My Love from the from Another Star. Mm-hmm. That was a cute one. Yeah, um, I haven't decided if I, I want to see Descendants of the Sun or not. It's on my list, but every time I look at it, I don't know. I guess I'm confused about the vibes, but I'll watch it one day. It was definitely my watch cute. list. Mm-hmm. My watch list is very long. <laughs> yeah so listeners just know if you recommend dramas to me it's i will add them to the list but the list is so long no that's me too i feel my friend will recommend me k-dramas she so i got her into k-dramas after i got into k-dramas and um she's the one i ended up going to south korea with and she still watches them and she'll be like you need to watch this one it's so good i'm like yeah i'm gonna get to it and i never do and i feel so bad she'll be like done with it in like three days she's like did you watch it i'm like no i didn't i'm sorry (laughs) I will eventually, I promise. Just not. There's so much. It's like between now and like three years from now, I will watch it. <laughs> but I will watch I will it. Watch That's it. The thing. Right. It just may take me up to three years or more. But eventually I'll get to it. And I'll and then I'll call her back. Sometimes I do watch it and I'll call her back. I'm like, oh, I watch that show. She's like, what show? <laughs> I'm like, you know, the one you recommended me. She's like, I, I like finished that one week, months ago. <laughs> like, what are you talking like, about? Like, girl, don't come, don't come to me with all right. that. Now. She's like, I don't remember these characters. <laughs> I forgot you said you went to South Korea. What was that like? I I've heard great things, but also whenever I've expressed to people who aren't really into like the pop culture of it all, like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to go to South Korea, and always the refrain is, "Aren't they racist over there?" Yeah, which I'd like to respond with, "People racist over here," but true. <laughs> everywhere really right really (laughs) it was i enjoyed it so before we went to south korea i went to tokyo and i feel like i really like tokyo so south korea was kind of like paled in comparison a little bit and i felt Mm -hmm. really bad but so i went to seoul busan and jeju island i want to go to busan so bad i love i hear great things busan was my favorite because we were right (sighs) near the beach and it was just like Mm -hmm. it felt very relaxing and just like there was a lot of fun stuff a lot of artsy stuff so that was my favorite I actually didn't encounter no hostile racism I'll say Uh, well (laughs) there was one instance that was maybe but I couldn't tell if they were being racist or just rude because it was like we were at a club and you know I feel like clubs and like bouncers and like coat check people just can be kind of rude in general no matter where you Mm -hmm. are so I I don't know if that was what that was or if they were just being racist and then when I when we went to Busan you know we were more like in the country area and so there was Mm -hmm. an older Korean person who tried to touch my hair (laughs) but I hear that happens a lot it's wild to me (laughs) yeah but like they were at least at least 60 maybe 70 which of course you know should still know better than to like touch strangers but it was like okay you're you're older we're like in the middle Mm -hmm. of like because we had to take a bus and we had like a, a layover 
And so we're like really in the middle of like nowhere. So I'm like, you you may not have actually seen a black person before. So they like, actually I'm a, might not have. I'm just that's very real. Move out the way, but I won't yell at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that was it. I feel like because so many black people have moved there, because as you probably know, like a lot of people like teach English there, or like do mm-hmm. other jobs, um, or just have moved there. I feel like at least in like Seoul, like they're kind of used to us now. <laughs> Yeah, it's getting much more – I mean, it's still very low percentages, but mm-hmm. when you go from, like, 99% Korean to even, like, 97 I don't know the yeah. statistics these days. It's still a big shift. And they have more, you know, multicultural people, Black people specifically, in their media. Right. Like Sam O'Curry, which, I mean, is he in the media anymore? That's – we're rooting for you, Sam. I know. Um, <laughs> he did something recently, and I was like, no, oh, you're still out here. Go, go he Sam. Did, he- <laughs> He got back on some sort of show, and I was like, oh, look at him. It was so funny, though, not to call him out his name. I don't think we have any Korean listeners, so it's fine. (laughs) But he went on this show, and again, he's, you know, apologizing for what he did for people who don't know. And very, very brief, he was calling out blackface of these students. This was, I think, 2020 Mm -hmm. that they had done in South Korea, somewhere in the country, a school of high schoolers, I think. They'd done blackface. It's a problem. He called it out. There was a big uproar. He had to apologize. He lost all his work, et cetera, et cetera. It was bad. I did not hear about any of that. So thank you for that little recap. <laughs> oh, it was it was a lot. Yeah. So that's why he stopped working. And he was on a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. He lost all of his work. But he recently was on something. And in that show, he was again apologizing. Like he had bowed down in front of the media, like all this stuff. But again, he was apologizing on the show. But a couple weeks prior to that, or maybe a couple months, he was on Jubilee and they have this show. It's a YouTube channel, Jubilee. They have just a concept of a show where you stand a line if you agree, disagree, strongly disagree, and then like in the positive the other way. But with Black people living in Japan, they did one at Black people living in India, maybe? And then Black people living in South Korea. And he was on that episode. And he was not that apologetic on that episode, (laughs) let me tell you. He's like, I already lost my brand deals. Like, Yeah, he's like, that was rough. Y'all didn't have to do all that. But then he goes on the show later. He's like, yes, I'm still so sorry. Mm. But he knows his audience. You know, shout out to him. Get the bag. I get it. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, you're seeing more Black models Mm -hmm. going back to people in the public perception. Black models in South Korea. Yeah. Uh, Multicultural families are gaining in prevalence too. So I have hope that things are changing over there. And it definitely does seem to be the case with the younger generation, which also... It gets me really hyped for this podcast because I think (laughs) the points of connection have a lot of potential through our pop culture, have a lot of potential to do good works in these places where they're trying to transition from such a like homogenous outlook, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. But also, I think we also have to do work as Americans to not be so culturally imperialist about it. Yeah, definitely. You know, I never realized how quote unquote American I was until I went to Tokyo and South Korea. Cause then you realize, like, wow, I'm very loud. And it's like <laughs> just all these things. Um, but also quickly, um, South Korea was the first place I saw black mannequins. Really? Yeah. It was very or at least they were like brown mannequins. And it was just like, wow, I've never I didn't realize I didn't see that before. And I was like, this is the first time I've seen it. And I'm in South Korea. That is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I'm real fascinated to see where they go. Mm-hmm. Um, not just South Korea, but a lot of these homogenous countries. Mm-hmm. Speaking of cultural exchange, you do content about Sailor Moon, which is an anime. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering what you think about how we as content creators can encourage healthy cultural exchange versus leaning into the negative or having <laughs> listeners who might be new to the concepts of things like cultural appropriation, stuff like that. 
I mean, on the content creator side, I think making sure you're doing research and just like checking yourself or checking like with friends, like, hey, this is this is bad. Is this offensive? Should I say that? I shouldn't mm-hmm. say this. Or yeah, just having like people who can be real with you or just like being real with yourself and making sure that, you know, you're listening to other people who are part of those cultures. And I think for both ways, one of the things I try to do is like on Twitter, when people talk, I listen, you know, when they say something like this is something that's affecting me and here's how it affects me. Like, I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. Or, oh, I didn't know that because, you know, I recognize my own ignorance of things. And I would hope that other people do the same thing and just, you know, be real yourself about what you know and what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even like there's some stuff I'm like, I don't really understand why you're struggling here. But if you say you're struggling, I'm just going to believe you and go about my way you know, and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and believe that and say, if this bothers you, I don't understand why it bothers you. But if you say it bothers you, I won't do it. Or, you know, I will stand behind you when we tell other people not to do it. Mm-hmm. Just being empathetic and compassionate and listening to others and checking yourself. Checking yourself is underrated. Mm-hmm. We all have to do it from time to time and it can be uncomfortable, but I strive to do it and I urge my listeners to strive to do it. Yeah, because I mean, as much as like we call out other cultures for cultural appropriation, I think black people, I know that's what I'm saying, like with me checking myself. When I first got into Korean culture, I'm like, I had to check myself because, you know, you can it's like, oh, Korea, Korea. And it's like, wait, like you don't know everything. <laughs> this isn't your Especially mm-hmm. with K-dramas. Again, we, like we said, mm-hmm. it's hard and fast. If y'all are listening at home or not into K-dramas, it's hard and fast. And you envelop yourself right. in that world. It's very easy to, you know, cross that line over into like, oh, wait, this is maybe, maybe I need to back off a little. Mm-hmm. What has been your proudest <laughs> moment as a creator in fandom thus far? This is, this is a hard week to ask me this because I just had like some good <laughs> moments. And I'll say two at least. Okay. I think one having Sweetie on the podcast, I think that was just like really great. That was like when I started the podcast, I was like, if I can get Sasha Banks, who's now Mercedes Monet and Sweetie and Lizzo on the show, those are like my dream guests. <laughs> and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just being being able to do the podcast in general and having and seeing like it being received so well. Because mm-hmm. when I started it, I was just like, I think this is it. I think this will do good. And it's just been like, oh, it was actually happening. Cool. just recently at c2e2 they let me like kind of curate a space called a sailor moon fan clubhouse so i was kind of able to like put together an area where like you could watch sailor moon and um color so there was like sailor moon coloring pages and like colored pencils and i had like sailor moon monopoly and some other sailor moon games sailor moon playing cards for people to play and it was just like a chill little space and just very sailor moon themed and those are the kind of things i want to start doing more often because i would love to just like gather more anime fans or gather especially Sailor Moon fans just kind of give us some fun activities to do every so often or fun like ways to get together because every time like I talk to people online or even like get together for stuff in person they're like oh like we don't have this or you know it'd be great if we can do this Mm -hmm. more and so I'm hoping that that I can do that. What was it like seeing that space you imagined fully realized in person and actually happening and people enjoying it? It was so good. Like, I think I go into most things with like very, not low expectations, but maybe like mm-hmm. neutral expectations. <laughs> and so when they like things are like going well, I'm like, oh, wow, cool. It was just really nice seeing like people sit down and watch Sailor Moon and seeing people's reaction whenever they saw that we were playing Sailor Moon in the area. Like people would stop and be like, oh, they're playing Sailor Moon. And like you could see people kind of become like little kids again. And I don't know many things that can do that to people. So that was that was really nice. That's so neat. Mm -hmm. What are your hopes for the future of anime fandom or just general cross-cultural fandom? I mean, it'd be cool to see more, I guess, more collaboration, more, I guess, understandingness in general, less hate 
and I guess less ignorance in general. Yeah, I think people are having more fun and just like getting together because we both enjoy the same things. Fandom should be fun. Fandom should be fun. <laughs> I agree. That's what I always tell people on the podcast. I'm like, it doesn't matter because people like be apologetic about like, oh, I only watched the English one. I haven't watched a Japanese one or I've only watched it you know, recently like you. And I'm just like, it's fine. Like as long as you're a fan, that is the only requirement to be on the show. Like you don't need to know like every voice actor or like the English dub versus the Japanese dub where you've seen Crystal or read the manga. It's like Mm -hmm. if you've only seen like a few episodes of the show and you really loved it or you liked it, like you're a fan and that's it. Less gatekeeping, more fun. That's the the takeaway. (laughs) I love that. Is there anything else that you hoped we had more time for? I mean, we could talk more about Lee Ho or Gongu, but (laughs) that's about it. We might have to have a whole part two just to expound on <laughs> yeah. the, the merits of Gongyu and his features. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But other than that, no, I don't think so. This was great. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. I thank you so much for coming. Where can the good folks find you? I know you're on hiatus, but plug what you can where you can. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I still tweet. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Miss Old School. Same on Instagram. That's Old School with a K. So M I S S O L D S K O O L. And you can also find me the podcast Sailor Moon Fan Club. Wherever you listen to podcasts, there are like over a hundred episodes. So plenty to catch up on while I'm on hiatus. And we'll probably be returning later this year. And mm-hmm. you can find that at Mooney's Club on Twitter and Mooney's underscore Club on Instagram. And then I do TikToks every so often. So you can find me there at Sailor Victoria. Much respect about you doing tiktoks i cannot but i have so much respect for those who do <laughs> uh, i do one maybe every like four months so <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't respect me too much okay y'all well thank you so much for listening you can let me know what your first fandom was i am curious you can do that at culture x podcast on twitter or instagram not tiktok sorry <laughs> and you can join us next week where we will be joined by black girl soul and we'll be talking about k-dramas and being black and k-drama fandom until then Keep it chill and keep it nerdy.